listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for October 11th, 2020, the 19th Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Garnsey. It's based on Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. When my dear colleague and our friend Justin got slammed with the flu this past week, not the COVID flu, they both tested negative, he and Jewel, thanks be to God. We did what we do as a well-oiled clergy team. We shuffled the deck and I took on his preaching assignment today and filled in for him at a wedding yesterday as the officiant. This is nothing Justin wouldn't do for me if the situation were reversed. Though of course it was disappointing for the wedding couple who had prepared with him as their priest and guide for the better part of the year. So having spent an intense couple of days poring over this strange and challenging gospel, once I got to the wedding yesterday, believe me, I half expected one of the parents of the bride or groom to single me out like the king does to that poor guest at the end of Jesus' parable and say to me, how did you get in here? Well, Justin's and my switcheroo aside, it has been a tough year for weddings with COVID-19 upending the best laid plans and couples having to cancel large guest lists and move ceremonies and receptions outdoors, rain or shine. To anyone listening who's been part of a wedding that got sabotaged by the pandemic this year, I'm genuinely sympathetic to your disappointment. But COVID-19 has nothing on Jesus's parable in Matthew when it comes to ruining a wedding. First, every person on the king's guest list turns the invitation down. It's one thing for a wedding couple to have to tell their guests they can no longer come to their wedding during a full-blown pandemic. It's another thing altogether to have everyone they know refuse to come in the first place. And when the king in the parable sends out messengers to his friends in the hope they'll reconsider, Not only do they fail to change their minds, they dismiss the banquet as a non-event and kill the messengers. I think at this point I would postpone the wedding, wouldn't you? But Jesus has a much larger point to make in this parable. So he has the king go even further. He invites any and all who are passing by, good and bad alike, and even gives them clothes to wear. The party must go on, because that is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a banquet to which every person, good and bad, is invited, and all are offered something to wear as God's welcome guests. The divine feast is a running image throughout Hebrew and Christian scripture as a way to frame what God has in mind for humankind, a joyous party, a celebration of love for God's beloved. If only we will realize it, accept the invitation, and show up. But we doubt the lavishness of the feast, free and gracious, generous and egalitarian, whether we deserve it or not. Sometimes we sit more comfortably with a God who doles out what wicked people deserve, like the angry and and vengeful king. And I feel like that's why one of the classic interpretations of this parable has been a straight up allegory in which God is this violent king. At a glance, one can see the allegorical possibilities in the Hebrew prophets as God's messengers who get killed, and God as their vengeful king, and so on. But throughout his life and teaching, 
Jesus represented an entirely different image of God than that of a vengeful king. So an allegorical approach breaks down for me in the parable's sheer violence. I don't believe that jibes with Jesus's lived embodiment of a persistently loving, forgiving, and merciful God who continually invites us to life's great banquet and who would never hunt us down and kill us, even if we continually say no. Jesus is once again teaching through story, using hyperbolic, shocking imagery to grab his listeners' attention and to emphasize the gravity of his message, which is that the kingdom of heaven is like a king's wedding feast and the good and bad alike are all invited. The passage says, many are called, but few are chosen. But isn't it also true, many are called, but few choose to come? As I was saying, scripture is shot through with the imagery of meals, the Exodus Passover meal, Sabbath meals, the marriage feast at Cana, the dinner party of the prodigal son, dinners at Pharisees' houses and with prostitutes and sinners, sharing bread with Jesus' disciples, feeding crowds on hillsides with loaves and fishes, the Last Supper, the meal at Emmaus, breakfast on the beach with the resurrected Christ, and not least of all, the Great Supper of the Lamb in the book of Revelation. In each and every New Testament case, the meals amount to a gracious invitation to come to the table with Christ and find healing and unity with one another. So in light of this recurring scriptural motif of feasting, I want to try on a different interpretation of this difficult parable. Jesus was ever and always operating on the level of the inner, hum inner heart of human beings. He might have sparred with Pharisees and political powers, but he never set out to take his own place in a position of power, earthly power. He sought only to challenge his religious ruler's ability to see that God is freely at work in the world, unbounded by their purity codes and exclusionary power structures, doing the work of healing and restoring the created order back to its intended harmony and fruitfulness. In this vein, we might read this wedding feast parable as a metaphor for the ways in which we insist on remaining outside of the truly meaningful arena of life, when we don't take time to notice where God is working in us and in the world. This parable throws light on how we willfully miss out or dismiss the very biggest cosmic possibility of joy that's ours for the taking within us and around us all the time. We doubt that joy can be ours. In the words of the writer and priest Robert Ferrer Capon, Jesus' free grace, dying love, and unqualified acceptance might as well be a 15-foot crocodile the way we respond to it. We will sooner accept a God who we will be fed to than one we will be fed by. It takes a certain intentionality to see joy beyond the pain in our world and in our own lives when we are in pain. But that doesn't mean joy isn't there, flickering brightly beyond the shadows of our suffering. St. Paul, who was frequently arrested and tortured, was actually writing from prison 
when he said to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. To enter into joy like that, it takes a daily spiritual practice of attention and an intention of deep listening and careful watching with inner heart and inner eyes to recognize the energy of the divine presence pulsating throughout everything, transforming pain into life-giving possibility. Forget any equating God with this parable's king. The story is about the people, the would-be wedding guests and their inability to see what they're missing. The characters in Jesus' parable are going off to work and tending to their many obligations, things we all have to do, but ignoring or making light of no less than a king's invitation. They kill the messenger, trying to invite them into something cosmically joyful. But God does not kill us and burn our cities when we refuse to listen. We are the ones who hurt one another, trying to be right or to get ahead. We are the ones who sever relationships when we can't forgive or allow ourselves to be forgiven. We are the ones who divide and categorize people and things into good and bad, worthy and unworthy. We are the ones who exclude and kill and burn down cities. God is entirely outside of our violent ways. The possibility is always available to us to put aside our weapons and divisive ways, the mania and worry and fear that we wrap ourselves in and instead put on the wedding garment that is an awakened soul and come to the party where we find that peace that passes all understanding. Matthew's gospel begins with Emmanuel, God with us, and it ends with, lo, I am with you always. And all throughout the middle, the sum of Jesus' teaching invites us into this deeper dimension of living that's like a wedding feast. Many are called to this party, but few choose to enter in. What keeps us from going deeper when there is untold joy to be had there, even in the midst of life's greatest pain? Many will choose to bob along downstream along the current of their life's pain or pleasure, or chase the rush of ego, like the busy farmer and merchant in the parable without stopping to think or feel beyond what can be quantified or monetized. And that's what it means to decline the invitation to live out the deeper dimensions of our humanity and miss the real party. The mystics say suffering can be our greatest teacher, but it is hard to accept teaching from pain caused by people or situations or our own mistakes. We naturally see pain as an unwelcome guest. We will lock it away in a closet or slam the door on it out of fear or anger or a dogged commitment to the reptilian response of fight or flight. The pain that is not transformed is transmitted, as Richard Rohr famously said. The meaning of life is found in aligning ourselves, our whole selves, with whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, as St. Paul writes. 
If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things and the God of peace will be with you. Here is the good news. There is always truth and honor and justice to be found in the world or delivered to the world. There are always pure and pleasing and commendable things and people on which to train our attention and who teach us to see God at work in the world. We lack only the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the trust to respond. We must not take lightly the urgent invitation to let our souls awaken and come to this party that is the kingdom of heaven. It is already underway. It is here and it is now. And the world desperately needs us to go there. We are all invited. The good and the bad in all of us is invited. Take the invitation seriously and don't forget to RSVP. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.